This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 199, The Game. Welcome into what? Another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Now, most weeks on Mission Log, we dive into an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether that episode is relevant today. And that is what we are doing today with the game, the one with Baby Judd, where you put the disc in the tube and lose your free will. John's Trivia Palooza is coming up in a moment, but first, a few words about the many, many spaceships in the official Star Trek Starships collection. Hey, Mr. Trivia, I got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Did you know that once refit, the Enterprise 1701 was 14 meters longer than it had been? Uh, I did not know that. You must mean a real-life version of that ship (laughs) as opposed to the miniatures, because there would be a huge miniature. That would be a huge minute. Yeah, no, in-universe, uh, when they refed the Enterprise 1701 between, you know, the five-year mission and the events of the motion picture, yep, uh, gained 14 meters. Now, do you know how I learned that? By reading. What? I was reading the little, I was reading the magazine, reading yeah. the magazine <laughs> yeah. uh, that came with the uh, 1701 that I got, of course, from the good people at, at Eagle Moss and the official uh, Starships collection. Um, I've talked before about the magazines. That they come with. And here's the thing. I, I don't think the magazines by themselves would be worth the price. Yeah. But but if you're like a trivia person, if you're somebody who likes to know like all of the ins and outs about, you know, both the ship and universe and the design stuff, these magazines that come with these ships are awesome. I mean, that's where I got the Enterprise fact, for example. Uh, in the one about the Enterprise 2, um, there are drawings by Ralph McQuarrie for an Enterprise redesign mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the 70s. I, I think I know where you're going with that. They look kind of disco. That's yeah. what I was going to say. They yeah. look a little disco, right? if you know what I mean. <laughs> and if you don't know what I mean, well, I'm sorry. It's it's, it's funny though if you do. It is. Uh, and then and then so so you get the magazine, and then also you get the ships. Yeah. Can I make yeah. your life even cooler? I I probably <laughs> I, okay. All right. Well, here's the thing. You're excited about reading the little magazine that comes with the ship. Right? Yeah, it's not a it's not a little magazine. Oh no, I mean, it's not the it's biggest magazine. magazine you'll ever get. But it's a, yeah, it's, it's magazine size. It's, and glossy. it's, it's glossy. It's yeah. full of art. Yeah, and full of facts. It, they're gorgeous. But what's going to make my life even cooler than that, John? Okay, so two things. One, mm. you get a binder to put all those magazines in. So the longer okay. you stay with the collection, you get a binder. But here, this is even cooler. You could just put all those magazines in the binder, put it on a shelf, never crack it open, leave it in its mint, pristine condition, because you also mm-hmm. get a digital version of the magazine that you can read on your iPad or tablet of choice. I did not know that part. I just I really should mind. pay more attention, huh? I no, just that actually does. <laughs> it does make my life cooler. I think we've probably yeah. talked. I mean, we don't want to give short shrift to the ships, but we've talked a lot about them. I mean, yeah. they're 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 nice. They're cool. They're they're all individually painted. They're amazing. Yep. And then uh, and of course you can get into them super cheap. I mean, if you want to try one out and not at full price, uh, you can get the Enterprise One Seven Zero One D for four dollars and ninety five cents, and that includes shipping. It couldn't be easier. You go to st starships dot com slash mission log. Start it there with the Enterprise mm-hmm. D for four ninety five. You will not want to stop because then, when you have your regular subscription, two ships a month, and that means two magazines a month. That means two digital downloads a month. That means you get the whole collection, and it just keeps coming. You're gonna, you don't have starships coming out of your ears, but in a good way. <laughs> well, in a good I was way. Say, I don't think that's not really the best way to display them, but it really is up to you how you do it. <laughs> so um, just you know, give them a go. Uh, st-starships.com slash mission log. That slash mission log is kind of important for us because it lets them know that you heard about them here uh, which lets them keep supporting us, which lets us, uh, you know, keep doing what we're doing. So st starshipscom slash mission log. Uh, give them a go. And we do, of course, thank them for sponsoring uh, this edition 
of Mission Log. Ken, if people wanted to talk to us about, say, the show or maybe about their tiny mm-hmm. starships, where mm-hmm. would they get in touch with us? Oh, there are lots of places, John. Okay. Would you like me to tell you? I would love to know. <laughs> uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may actually, honestly, truly... Use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. We might do it today. And now, well, you might do it today. I'm, I'm a little ahead. busy after this. I'm <laughs> sorry. Right. Uh, um, oh, oh, you mean there's a thing. That's there, right. We are thing. going to do that today. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I was thinking in terms of voicemail, and I'm like, no, dude, I'm busy. Oh, no, no, I can't no. Yeah, do that. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to toy with our listeners like that. So I'll tell you what I'm not too busy for. What's that? Sir. Yep. Uh, it's John Champion's Trivia Palooza. Oh, yeah, because you get to tune out for a few minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I need a nap. You go right ahead, <laughs> Okay. Trivia, today's show, The Game. The story is written by Susan Sackett, Fred Bronson, and Brandon Braga. Now, Susan, of course, worked in the office of Next Generation from the very beginning, and she was Gene's assistant. Fred Bronson, Susan's friend, we had mentioned before for co-writing Menage a Troy, and prior to that, he had written The Counterclock Incident for the animated series. Now, the teleplay is by Brandon Braga, and the script really is his. Uh, He got credit on shows before as a co-writer, but the story had been pitched by Susan and Fred at least a year earlier, and it just couldn't find any traction. They didn't know what to do with it. No draft was really acceptable. So it went to the new guy, or at least by this time, Brandon was new to the writing staff, having worked his way up from his internship. The episode is directed by Corey Allen. Now, he has been around NextGen for a little while. He actually started things off with Encounter at Farpoint. He also directed Home Soil, What Up? And he directed Final Mission, which is a great little bookend to this episode where we get to welcome Wesley back. And he will be back for one more episode of NextGen. Now, it is worth noting that this was the first episode of The Next Generation that aired after Gene Roddenberry's death. He passed away on October 24th, 1991. This episode premiered on October 28th, 1991. We have a reference here to the USS Merrimack, and you know how I like my ship names and ship trivia. So the most famous ship bearing that name, there were others, but the most commonly known one was commissioned by the U.S. Navy in 1855. It was decommissioned and recommissioned and then burned and sunk to prevent it from falling into Confederate hands when the Civil War broke out. Now, the Confederate Army salvaged it, and they brought up that sunken hull and renamed her the CSS Virginia, though many people still called her the Merrimack, or others, if you were on the Union side, just called her the Rebel Monster. And it was an ironclad, steam-powered warship, but she didn't last long like that either. She was scuttled in 1862. Now, we have a reference here to Boothby. We first heard about him in the final mission. And boy, do I hope we get to meet him someday. <laughs> He's my favorite callback. He is. He should be. He should be. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I, I keep hoping that there will be more. Um, by the way, Ken, I just had to point this out uh, because it's just me being pedantic and I apologize ahead of time. Uh, but there's a beautifully rendered in high definition, that close-up of Deanna Troy's ice cream sundae. Uh, I see white chips. Hmm. Those are not chocolate. They're, uh, they're white confection. They're not white chocolate? Uh, no, see, you put those two words together, and those two words don't belong together. It's, uh, it's white <laughs> confection. We call it white chocolate. Uh, see, see, I got a little twitch in my eye when you said that. So, um, yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll leave it at that. I like white chocolate. Oh, gosh, see, there you go again. You just, from hell's heart, you stab at me. Yeah, well, okay. you know. White chocolate is a dish ah, that's cold, yeah. and it's very cold in an ice cream sundae. Yeah, or not at all. Not at all, if you, <laughs> you're like me. Okay, uh, the Latin phrases in this episode. I'll translate them for you. How's your Latin? Better than before. <laughs> so that last phrase ends, by the way, with the word Prius, which on its own translates to first. That's for all you Prius drivers out there. 
And for guest stars this week, we welcome back Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher, and we welcome back Ashley Judd as Ensign Leffler. And we won't be seeing Ensign Leffler again after this, sadly, but the episode will go down in history for containing Ashley Judd's first on-screen kiss. And we also have Catherine Moffat as Atana Joel, the Katarian woman in the opening scene with Riker. Lots of TV appearances for Catherine, the Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Chips, the A-Team. She did voices for the Iron Man and Fantastic Four cartoon series. Her last screen credit is the show Sliders. And she will be back for one more appearance on Deep Space Nine. One of the kids from Stand By Me and the woman from Kiss the Girls are totally going to make out in this episode. It is not as creepy as it sounds. Prologue. Welcome back to Risa, where people go to play when they have time off. This time it's Commander Riker who's going full Riker with a seductive alien woman, Atana, because he's no xenophobe. She's playfully evading him, then tosses his comm badge out the window... Rather than Riken going berserk, to make up for it, she gives him a game. Sort of a less dorky-looking Google Glass device that the player puts on to beam the playing field into his or her eyes. The game is simple. Move the discs into the cones with your mind. The reward must be pretty great, because all Riker can think about is getting to the next level, rather than getting his Riker on with Atana. How far can the game go? As far as he wants it to. Act 1. On board the Enterprise, Riker is back and he's making preparations for the multiple science teams who will be competing for resources during a two-week visit to the Phoenix Cluster. Who are they and what will they be doing? It doesn't matter. Also visiting will be Wesley Crusher because, hey, it's Wesley, ready to break out of the Academy for a few days. In engineering, Riker and Jordy are talking about what scientists will need what equipment. And remember Ensign Leffler, who is now a mission specialist there to help out. Yeah, fine, she's busy doing her job, but Riker really wants Jordy to come check out the new game he brought back from Risa. Maybe some other time. Cut to 10 forward, where Riker walks in on Diana Troy getting seriously intimate with a chocolate-on-chocolate ice cream sundae. She is clearly getting some pleasure out of this, double dunking around the frozen treat. But Riker says, hey, I know something you'd really like. It's a game I picked up on Ryza. Act 2, beaming aboard now is Wesley Crusher. He's taller, he's got a uniform, and less product in his hair. After exchanging pleasantries with Chief O'Brien, he makes his way to the darkened chamber of the observation lounge to find... A surprise gathering of his closest friends, the stars of the next generation, his mom, Riker, Troy, Worf, Captain Picard, who speaks to him in Latin, you know, like you do when the kid comes back from college, Worf made a cake, you know, like he does, so Wesley better like it. Data is amused at Wesley's amusement at their off-the-wall little surprise party. He even lets out a creepy little android chuckle just to show us. The party breaks up as soon as it starts. Wesley will be put back to work at least a little while he's back on board. Meanwhile, Troy has just got to tell Dr. Crusher about this great new game from Risa. On the way to engineering, Data and Wesley catch up a bit. They both had their awkward moments at the Academy. Practical jokes, fitting in at parties, the dreaded Sadie Hawkins dance. No worries, though. Data offers to teach his dance skills to Wesley. At work now. Wesley starts to tech some tech, but he can't tech it quite techy enough. Walking by, Leffler notices what's going on and suggests manual calibration of the computer. It works. And before you can say no fraternizing of the workplace, Wesley is starting to go a little gooey over the ensign. We can call her Robin now. We're on a first-name basis. Data is called to sickbay by Dr. Crusher to do what seems like a pretty simple task, reprogramming a tricorder for an experiment she's running, but when she steps behind him, she reaches for Data's on-off switch, the one she's known about since Data Lore and wasn't supposed to share with anyone. In walk Riker and Troy, seemingly down to the brain games, they open up Data's noggin and sever a few connections, rendering him inoperable. Act 3. Catching up over a formal tea service, Picard and Wesley discuss the Academy, the professors, and most importantly, the groundskeeper Boothby, who Picard so fondly remembered, and Boothby didn't remember him at all. At least not at first. 
Wesley had to remind him, but soon the stories started coming about a young Jean-Luc carving someone's initials into a prize elm tree. Picard recommends to Wesley that he keep his mind on his studies. About this time, Dr. Crusher calls Picard to sickbay to let him know that something is wrong with Data. Geordi is there, too, and he's not in on it either, so he and Riker head off to Data's quarters to see if there are any clues lingering there. Geordi's concerned, worked up, stressed out. Seems like the perfect opportunity for Riker to reintroduce relaxing with one of those games from Risa again. Meanwhile, the nerdy kids are nerding out. Wesley and Robin are talking conduits and other fun with numbers. She clues him in about her rules of life, meaning that she jots down little aphorisms whenever she learns something new. She also lets on that she knows a thing or two about Wesley, some of the practical jokes he's pulled, the birthmark he has, which, by the way, is news to everyone else on or watching Star Trek. It puts Wesley at a disadvantage, but he's playing it cool, inviting her out to 10 forward when their duty shifts are over. With the Phoenix Cluster in sight and Data still out of operation, Beverly finds time to indulge in a little more game time. Wesley walks in on her. She's really enjoying it and a little embarrassed to be caught with it. She's really insistent that he try it out for himself, but Wesley has a hot date and can't take the time. In 10 forward, dating is in full progress. Wesley and Robin are chatting it up, upbringing, family life, or lack thereof. She notes how all the people in engineering are obsessed with some new game, which is such a coincidence because Wesley says his mom is too. Robin dismisses it. That's just some fad. But since neither of them has tried it for themselves, they decide to hook it up to a lab computer to see what it actually does. In the lab, the game is fired up, and it's obvious that gameplay stimulates pleasure centers in the brain, but the longer it's there, it starts to act like a powerfully addictive drug. Higher brain function and reasoning could be seriously impaired for those using it. As self-appointed defender of the Enterprise, Wesley decides to tell Picard. In the captain's ready room, Wesley expresses his concern. The game is addictive, possibly dangerous, and Picard seems troubled by this revelation. He promises to look into it. Then, as Wesley leaves, Picard pulls the game headset from behind his desk and fires it up for another round. Act 4. Okay, everybody is using this game, and they won't lay off Wesley or Robin to give it a try, but they manage to dodge him. And you know who might not be affected by it? Data. And you know who's inactive in sickbay? Data. If they need more help against the game, Data could be a defender too. Wesley and Robin go to check him out, and a bit of science later, they figure it out. His systems are intact, but some of his positronic links have been straight up severed. It would take someone to do that, some outlaw with skill, and the only two who come to mind are Geordi and Wesley's mom. There's something going on. Everyone is addicted. Data is out of the way. Cut to the bridge where Picard is ready to rendezvous with an alien vessel like he planned it that way, and he orders that the rest of the crew be hooked up to that game right away. Beverly hightails at her quarters to find Wesley and Robin playing the game. She's pleased and leaves. But psych! Those crazy kids had a couple of fake games going to throw off the adults. Now they can get back to the secret quest of their own, which involves Robin showing up in engineering like she's supposed to, and Wesley working on something with security systems on board. They better hurry, though. About that time, the alien vessel closes in on the Enterprise, and who should be there to hail the captain, none other than Atana Jal, Riker's one-time Risafling, this time looking way more serious, and it's Picard who asks her for further instruction. Act 5, the plan becomes clear. Etana, representing the space invaders known as the Katarians, is using the Enterprise crew to spread the game hither and yon. Just like the vanguard of some brain-dwelling space parasite, Etana wants the game all up in Starfleet from the top to the bottom, and the outcome can't be good. Wesley is passing through the crew as if he's on the game too, but his meeting with Robin Leffler does not go as planned. She's sitting at her station in engineering but she's not her usual self. A little more dreamy-eyed than usual, a little less interested in talking tech specs with Wesley. Oh no, she's all hopped up on the game too. Wesley makes a break for it, but Worf and Riker are in pursuit, ready for combat if need be. 
He beams away in the nick of time, putting himself in the pole position, but the combined resources of the rest of the crew are against him. Move, counter-move, like real-life video chess, Wes avoids every pitfall and even sets up a phaser to make it look like he's trying to break through a force field. Worf is on top of it, though, and that kid gets snatched up while crawling like a centipede through the Jeffries tubes. Game over, man. Game over. Dragged to the bridge, the grown-ups are going to force this kid to play with them. Just as the game piece is placed over his eyes and activated, the lights on the bridge go out. In walks Data with one of those cool Starfleet-issued flashlights and starts flashing Morse code, maybe, directly into the faces of everyone there. Everybody figure it out? No? Well, here's Data to explain. He woke up just in time, thanks to Wesley, to program a code breaker, an optical pattern to snap everyone out of their game-playing days. The same pattern has been transmitted to all consoles everywhere on the ship, and any stragglers can be taken care of later. That alien ship with Rikers fleeing on board has been secured with a tractor beam, threat averted. Meeting up with the USS Merrimack, it's time for Wesley to say goodbye, but not before a last, lingering kiss with Robin. Hey, I I think these kids really like each other. Not sure, they'll be on opposite ends of the quadrant from each other, but they'll keep in touch. And as a parting gift, Robin gives Wesley all 102 of her personal rules, printed out on paper... The end. Also, uh, Pac-Man, Galaga, E.T., the extraterrestrial, Mario Brothers, Yara's Revenge. (laughs) See, if you hadn't done that list there, I was going to say it's quite the tempest they face, but thank goodness they were able to avoid asteroids. Yeah, that's good. Um, I was afraid of a bit of a joust between uh, Wesley and (laughs) Worf at one point. Yeah, Um, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Uh, and yeah. I just think that if the Qatarians have been successful taking over the Federation, it could have launched a whole new series of space wars throughout <laughs> the galaxy. <laughs> Did we see what they were eating, by the way, in 10 Ford? Because I'm thinking it could have been burger time. Oh, it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we could do this for all far too long. Day. Yeah, all day long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, there's a continuity error, and I want to go ahead and get it out of the way right now because what, it what? bugged me. Okay. There's a continuity here, it's, and it's kind of a big one. Okay. Um, okay. So Data is next to Jordy when Crusher calls him to sickbay, right? Okay, yeah. And then when when Data's out of commission in sickbay, she tells Picard and Jordy that Data came in complaining of whatever issue you know she's made mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Now, I assumed at that point that Jordy had already played the game, but as you pointed out in the recap, right. it is then that Riker says, hey, come on, you know, play the game. And so we actually see him play the game for the first time. After he has seen Data in sick bay, right. and he was standing right next to Data when Data was called there by Crusher. Yeah, no, that's a good yeah. catch. Yeah. Well, it was, I, I didn't want it to be a good catch. I, I, I was watching it because I thought I saw it the first time, but I thought, no, 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 no. And then the second time I went through and watched it, I, I was actually watching for that, and yeah, it's right there. Mm-hmm. So we can just yeah. we can just stop right now because yeah. there's nothing yeah, else we're to done. talk about. Oh, it ruined yeah. this episode. Yeah. Totally ruined the episode. <laughs> um, eh. Maybe just, you know, for the sake of tradition, though, we'll go ahead and talk about it anyway. Sure, what the heck. All right, I got a question then. Okay. What is up with the levels of cruelty in this episode? They all make Wes think... Cruelty, yes. They all make Wesley think that they don't even remember that he's there. Mm -hmm. And then Wes, and maybe it's comeuppance, you know, makes Mm -hmm. Picard think that Boothby does not remember who he is. (laughs) And I I think to myself, (laughs) oh, it is so fun to make your friends feel unimportant. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I know Wes said it was that. fine. Yeah. yeah, Data, right. And But Data's like, did you like it? And Wes is like, oh, yeah, I love that. It was great <laughs> feeling like nobody gave a wet slap that I was back on the Enterprise for the first time in a year. Yeah. That my mom was too busy to come see me when I arrived. <laughs> for the record, uh, I don't think that's cool. So don't do that to me. I'm not okay. saying you. I'm saying anybody. Okay. I, yeah, I, just, right. I don't think that's cool. I don't need to be feted everywhere I go. I don't need you know, like horns to play. Yeah. But if you actually care, go ahead and let me know. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't just be like, Oh, haha, we were kidding. We really do like you. We just wanted you to feel like something we stepped in for a while. That's a good call. I, hey, I've lost count of the number of references we've had to Risa, but it is interesting that Risa is definitely a thing now in Next Gen. Yeah. And Riker has his own Horagon because we know way back from Captain's Holiday, it was like, uh, did you get a Horagon? Did you get a Horagon? Can I please? Did you <laughs> see this, this thing? They have a Horagon. So, like, Actually, uh, uh-huh. I didn't notice. Was there a Horagon in the shot? 
Uh, I see. I thought there was. Maybe I'm just imagining okay. that because I figure maybe. Hey, maybe Riker doesn't need a horgon on Risa. Maybe he's that confident. <laughs> if anybody doesn't need a horgon on Risa, it would be a it would be Riker. It would be Riker. Um, we talk a lot in this episode about the science teams on board, and uh, mm-hmm. I watched the episode at least four. Yeah, four times. At least four times. Still okay. pretty sure I never saw a science team. Yeah, I actually sort of wondered if they were real. Yeah, right. They just made I mean, because yeah. well, their brains are being controlled anyway, right? Although I guess no. Not, Picard not talks about them the, before yeah, their brains the are being controlled. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. We never see them. We hear a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're going to be trouble. Although uh, good on Leffler for figuring out a way to multiplex the you know teching the tech something or other. <laughs> right. Hey, I saw something that I know you would be very excited about, or I assume you'd be very excited what about. Was that? Was that a space ice cream bowl out of which Deanna Troy was eating? Oh, you're absolutely right. It was a space ice cream bowl. And you know how? It was so spacey. It It was. was Great. It was a bowl inside a bowl (laughs) with like a thing holding the bowls together. Suspended over another bowl. Right. It was was ridiculously huge. I don't don't actually know how much ice cream there was because I I feel fairly certain that the the bowl inside the other bowl atop the third bowl was really just like (laughs) sort of magnifying the whole thing. Right. Although she was actually doing a pretty good job of magnifying that ice cream as well. We'll talk she about was, that in a bit. She was. And, but see, here's the thing. I might have skipped over it because I didn't notice the use of a space spoon. There wasn't one. It was a regular spoon. Yeah. A little yeah. disappointing. Maybe not to detract from the space ice cream bowl. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe they thought, no, that's, that's far too much. Yeah. They're in space. <laughs> right. She's using a space bowl. If we do a space bowl, and then people are going to think, you know, that we're really just... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they might have trouble suspending disbelief just if let everything the, is so foreign. Yeah, yeah. Right. just let the audience infer she's got a space napkin somewhere, you know. <laughs> no um, doubt. Yeah. Uh, I love Data's creepy little android chuckle. Um, yeah. Not, not so much because the chuckle was funny, but he snaps out of it perfectly. His timing. Yeah, it was great. It was absolutely it was, it was very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, another little Data moment. Uh, he and Wesley talk about the Sadie Hawkins dance. And I thought, man, that is a really outdated reference you know yeah. of all the things to last until the 24th century well i mean on the one hand it, it's still the whole thing where the where the woman has to ask the guy right mm-hmm. yeah. but i would th- i would i would think that we would be beyond all of that uh, be beyond all of that at that point mm-hmm. that yeah. we just you know do you want to go to a dance yeah i want to go to a dance right am i supposed to ask you or are you supposed to ask me yes now i will say there was one thing that i did like as far as the whole I remember hearing the whole, like, coffee is the safe date, right? Oh, yeah. Co- yeah. Coffee is, you ask somebody, if you don't want to seem too committed, you don't know how much time you're going to want to spend, you're, the whole feeling out date, right? Yep. And Wesley asked Leffler if she wants to go for coffee. Right. And she says, nope, but I'll go for dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you you own that. I right. love that about her, honestly. Yeah. That was a great, I thought that was a really great moment. I mean, first of all, it shows that Wesley's not the stupid little puppy dog following her around thing mm-hmm. but then additionally she's like yeah okay thank you very much for you know do, uh, committing your part of the social contract of, of asking me out but i would actually like to go on my own terms and here they are yeah. you know and actually and of course it's a better thing it would have been worse if she <laughs> you want to go for coffee and she'd be like no but i'd stop by for like a pack of crackers you know wow yeah that'd be kind of ugly actually yeah so, oh, uh, by the way, a gratuitous shout out to the number 47 in this episode. Yep. I, I said uh, maybe a few weeks ago that I was not going to call all of those out because it's <laughs> just so many and it's sort of its own running joke. But this one is so just like put the camera right on Nursegawa and let her just yell, I'm at level 47. Yes. So everybody, everybody can know it. Um, and I did think about, you know, uh, you pointed out before that uh, Dr. McCoy is one of those characters that is very gumbified in the original series. And I felt like mm-hmm. Data, we've talked about Data being a little bit gumbified. I felt like in this episode in particular, he was a bit gumbified. He's so very affable. I almost feel like there's some scenes missing between last week's episode and now, because the fact that he would even force that little chuckle and and have this very chatty, almost like fatherly conversation with Wesley, I felt like mm-hmm. Data's been doing some homework that we haven't seen yet. 
you know? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. There's actually an interesting thing, though. I mean, this is probably the first time, with the exception of the time that they've both spent on the Enterprise, this is mm-hmm. the first time that Data and Wesley would have anything in common, right? Yeah, right. I mean, like right. they, 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 this is a shared experience. Now, of course, it's a shared experience by everybody on that ship. I mean, there are a thousand people on the ship, and they've all been through Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. But still, it is. I mean, they do have they do have a bit of a they have a, a, a something in common that they did not have before. Yeah. Not on the production side, there is one thing in this in this episode that I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. The camera work on the scene when they're examining data. You know, the thing where they push the back of his head and you know the arm raises and lowers. Right. The, the camera is is set at almost a Citizen Kane angle, oh, yeah. um, sort of down below everything, mm-hmm. and you really notice it when Riker comes around as well, like comes around the uh, the table or the gurney or whatever. Uh, just really interesting and really unusual. So much of so much of camera work on television is just so standard that when anybody does anything even remotely unusual, it's striking. And this was. Um, this was unusual, and yeah. so I thought I really liked I liked the fact that somebody said, "Hey, you know what we could do? Take the camera off the tripod." Yeah, that's or, or uh, lower the tripod or something. It's a really it's a really neat thing to see. That, that's my man, Martin Rush, Mar- Marvin Rush. Sorry, yeah, Marvin there you go. Rush, he, he's amazing, and I feel like he was really just kind of cutting his teeth on Next Gen and just kept getting better and better and better. Um, so yeah, we definitely have him to credit for stuff like that. I didn't put this in trivia, but since you mentioned that shot, um, Mm -hmm. I had read, and I I don't have documentation to back this up, but I had read that Data had fallen um, in that scene. You know, he he falls down, he hits the examination table, and that Brent Spiner actually hurt his chin very badly in the first take of that. He had to apparently go to the hospital, get stitched up a bit, came back, and then had to shoot that again. (laughs) <laughs> so, so you notice, you notice wow. that in that fall and the take that's in there, his head definitely clears the end of the examination table. And then you yeah. come back to that other shot where they're checking him out. And like you point out, you know, his head is kind of off to the side um, and they yeah. put the camera down below. So they, they moved him around a little bit. Hey, uh, we have that funny little bit. What do the initials AF stand for? Maybe not so yeah. funny in 1991, pretty funny in 2016. <laughs> you can fill that in yeah. for yourself. They didn't used to stand for that. And nope. Now they do. Nope. Yeah. Now, now the kids, they've, they've got a new, uh, a new description for everything. Yeah. They do indeed. Mm-hmm. Hey, two things that we find out about the 24th century. One that sort of makes me happy and another one that'll make you happy. Okay. Although I think they actually both make me happy. Yep. Uh, there's no money in the 24th century. Yeah. So the, oh. the, the science teams are all like, hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. And, and Jordy says, well, tell him to flip a coin. And, yeah. and Data says, a coin. Very good. I will replicate one immediately. <laughs> right. Okay, now, now maybe there's still money and they just don't have change. Maybe <laughs> everything is done in whole dollar amounts. <laughs> yeah. But it seemed to me to be a reference to the fact that, no, there is no money. And yet, you know, the flipping a coin thing would stick around. It's kind of neat. Uh, the other thing that's really cool. Mm-hmm. You ask where the art is. You ask where the artists are. Right. Uh, at Starfleet Academy, uh, Wesley Crusher is taking a creative writing course. Yeah, he is. Now, my fear is that all the creative writing begins like, um, I walked into my quarters and I turned on the hollow projector where two women were playing an ancient lute while wearing <laughs> Greek robes. You know? Hey, at least they're trying, though, man. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's still creative writing. They're still teaching creative writing. I don't know many, you know, I don't know how many novelists, I should say, came out of a, um, you know, military university. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. But okay. That's... You know, hey, Hemingway was in the army and he, he wrote uh, he wrote a novel or two. That is true. So, so I mean, I guess it's possible. I yeah. don't know. Anyway, I, I thought you'd be happy that, yes, the arts are alive. I don't know if they're well, but okay. the arts are alive in the am, 24th century. Yeah, I am glad for that. I'm very glad for that. Um, we also learned here about Robin Leffler. Poor Robin Leffler that uh, she's yet another Enterprise orphan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she just kind of, you know, law number one, she says, you can only count on yourself. I, I want to go back to this. Well, it takes a village and everybody is your family because you're on board this fantastic ship where everybody's looking out for each other. But there's a little bit of sadness, a little bit of loneliness to that. Yeah. Yeah. The amazing thing, though, is uh, so law number one is you can only count on yourself. It takes her up to law 91 <laughs> to say, always watch your back. Yeah. I don't understand right. how that happened. <laughs> right. right. That should have been like top five. 
Right. Is law like 90 like a knife in the back really hurts? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> law number 91 would be always watch your back. Yeah. Because you never know. Um, going back to sort of a production note, the scene between Wesley and Picard is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much for the Wesley parts, I'll be honest, but mm-hmm. um, I do love the bookend. Um, one of their last, I assume it's on the last mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the last scenes together before Will Wheaton left the show was Picard saying to Wes how jealous he was of all the new things that Wes was going to get to learn mm-hmm. and you know, all the stuff he's going to get to experience. And then in this return discussion, you can see that Picard is sort of reliving his time at the Academy uh, vicariously yeah. uh, through Wesley. And his yeah. face is, it's less guarded than usual. Right. I mean, in these moments, this is not a man who is content this is a man who is happy. Yeah. And, and, and the look on his face was really just awesome to see. And again, we can say almost every episode that Patrick Stewart is an amazing actor. But, I mean, I believed his happiness in that moment. I believed his reverie, which, I mean, was, it, was, it was a fantastic scene, especially when you think about uh, there was, there was a, almost a longing or sadness when he was saying how jealous he was of what, uh, of what Wesley was going to get to experience. It's great to see almost a continuation of that conversation however however many months or years later and he uh, he has a really fine tea set <laughs> he does well. which only brings out for special occasions yeah yeah i'm sure the 18 19 year old boy is really going to uh, appreciate the fine china and the oh, silver yeah. but you know still Definitely. um something that i really like about this episode is how the alien influence is shown because mm-hmm. it isn't Everyone acts exactly as they normally would. There's no forced robotic or sinister tone from anyone, and it makes the whole thing way creepier. The the only one who lets on is Robin at the end. She just has a kind Mm. of glassy look. But everybody else, up until that point, they're just their usual selves doing crazy Mm. things. Yes, except I would say that Frakes was... There was a little subtlety to what he was doing. He was... He was a tiny bit creepy, yeah. wonderfully creepy. I think so. Well, yeah. Well, sometimes whole, uh, Riker is a little creepy. Well, that's true. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that's true. Hey, you're a woman I've never seen before. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay. Maybe yeah. maybe it's maybe it's standard Riker creep, but I didn't realize. But he seemed he seemed particularly creepy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and that's kind of the neat thing. You you go back and watch it. You know, if you watch it through, you see what the ending is going to be. But then you go back and watch it again. All those little clues that that the actors might be giving off. But but it's so yeah. subtle. Uh, that's yes. what I really like about it. Yeah. Um, a couple of notes here about the the ending scenes. Uh, Data dramatically comes under the bridge to personally save all the crew members who are under alien influence. Fortunately for everyone else. The same thing could be done just by, you know, turning the lights on and off everywhere else in the ship and flashing through the consoles. So why he didn't just do that on the bridge, I don't know. But it was very dramatic. So Data has a flair for drama. Good for him. That's it. Yes. And um, I'm just, you know, I've got nothing but love for Robin Leffler. Great character. Great actor in the role. I'm a little worried about anybody who keeps a list of rules. And then would have the audacity to print them out in the 24th century. <laughs> it looked like a page a day calendar. It did. It? it looked exactly like yeah. that. It was kind of funny. Yeah. It's like acrylic thing. You know, Wes is like, great. Yeah. I, I only, my only suitcase is this tube. I got to fit this in now. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. Really? It's, it's the 24th century. You know, you could have emailed these to me. I'm just saying <laughs> you, you might have been able to. There might be a better way to do this. I really hope the guys mention Pokemon Go. I mean, they have to, right? They have to mention Pokemon Go. I wonder how long it will take them to do so. Pokemon Go. There. <laughs> there. Are, are you happy? Pokemon Go. Pokemon am I, Go. Am I happy? All right, well, am I happy? Are thousands of listeners happy? Pokemon Go. There, I said it again. I just... I can't stop saying it. Okay, th- this is a very good way to date this episode of Mission yeah. Log. We got, so, Ken, you know, part of my job is that I read all of our emails, all of our online comments, all of our discussion yeah. board comments. May I say, God bless you for that. <laughs> well, we got uh, 9,730 emails about Pokemon yeah. Go. Um, yes, we and, did. And they all started the same way. Hey, 
funny thing that you're about to get to the game. I don't know if you've noticed. So, right. Um, Cause yeah. you're heart of everything. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. How could you not know about Pokemon go at yeah. this point? But it is kind of funny yeah. that here we are in the second half of 2016 recording this show. Pokemon go yeah. has been out as an app for a few weeks and yeah. it has been all over the news. And apparently my understanding is that after the tremendous number of downloads, it also had mm-hmm. a tremendous fall off where well, people downloaded it. They played it a little bit and then they just didn't play it very much after that. Well, it depends on who you're talking about. There were people. So again, since we're dating this episode, there yeah. were people that we were hanging out with in Vegas or that I was hanging out with in Vegas or that I was trying to hang out with in Vegas. But you know what they were doing the whole time <laughs> I was talking to them? I kid you not. One person uh, in particular who was one of my favorite people to see there every year barely made eye contact with me the whole time. Because yeah. she is seriously on her phone doing the Pokemon <laughs> Go thing. Yeah. See, I Apparently, just, I it's a great place to catch them, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Even I, the Rio. I, I didn't notice it that much. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. Yeah, it's wildly popular, and we all have the luxury of these handheld devices that do amazing things and can keep you connected to the world. But mm-hmm. they can also be a huge distraction to everything that's going on in the world. Now, interestingly to me, so this game in the game isn't really that game, though. It's interesting to me that Pokemon Go really is augmented reality, where Mm -hmm. you see the world in front of you and you see those things interacting in that world. And kind of in this 3D way, you go up to it to interact with it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in the game, it's simply a game where the playing field only goes halfway up into your field of vision. Yeah. So, you know, you're sort of looking at it and you go, okay, here's the game field. And if I look up, I can see the wall in front of me. You just so I don't yeah. run into it. You know? Honestly, what this reminds me of is, do you remember how bad virtual reality used to look in movies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like people wouldn't do like the whole virtual reality thing. I want to say virtuosity might have actually been one of the first movies to say, look, virtual reality is going to look like reality. So yeah, let's just yeah. treat it like, you know, reality. Normally what you'd get with something like the lawnmower man, where right. it's like, oh, virtual reality is just like a long, it, it's like a development before anybody's <laughs> actually built anything. It's just like, you know, laid out in a grid and there's a guy standing there and apparently he'll kill you. So don't go to virtual reality because why would you anyway? There's nothing to do there. This sort of strikes me as that. I mean, on the one yeah. hand, it's 3D graphics laid over the rest of your field of vision. And so that's kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of like, oh, it's, it's kind of virtual reality, but really boring. Right. Well, it, it, here's <laughs> the, the thing. You know, from a production end, the game doesn't have to be good because right. all, all you have to buy is that there's something that is affecting their brains so that that's fine but it's kind of funny to me that it's sort of the problem that we've talked about before with putting popular music into shows about the future something like that Mm -hmm. because if you say this is what's cool in the 24th century it is immediately dated the minute it comes out it's immediately dated and dorky (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about this game and the reason you can totally forgive it, I mean, it, they're basically playing ball in cup. Yeah, right. Except that when they actually get the ball in the cup, then something shoots straight to the pleasure center of their brain and makes them, you know, happy in ways that border on obscene. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, like if, if you're looking at the game going, it's so dated or that's so stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, it, don't don't forget, though, the psychotropic effect. Of, of how excited you are to actually complete the game and wanting to do it, you know, more and more and more, which I don't think is, is quite the same thing as Pokemon Go. No. Although no. I will say I've got like nine Pokemon okay. in Pokemon Go and I'm I'm not trying anymore because, I mean, seriously, I can see where it would become. I don't want to go so far as to say addictive, certainly not psychotropically addictive, but I can see th- that's me and most video games. Honestly, I played World of Warcraft for one weekend solid. Mm-hmm. And and then I stopped because I played World of Warcraft for one weekend solid. <laughs> I can see like, you know, oh, if I were in a guild and if I had a party that I you know, regularly, you know, went and slayed things with or whatever. Yeah. So, 
anyway, not the same thing. But I mean, you, you could sort of make a correlation, maybe, especially for the people who still won't make eye contact with you because they're still playing Pokemon Go. Right. Um, we've hit the part, right, where you actually, you teased earlier that there would be feedback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, so we got an email from Andre, which, um, you know, again, we don't like to really plant other ideas into our discussion but this one it was a different take on it from people just saying pokemon go pokemon go pokemon go this email from andre (laughs) he says i do not by choice own a smartphone and the decision has produced bewilderment ridicule and even fury vitriol from others offers to purchase the device on behalf uh including ongoing data plans and the loss of relationships wow wow that's crazy yeah yeah uh, and he goes on to say, in short, I, like Wesley, that is a phrase I did not expect ever to use. <laughs> uh, I've been hounded to conform to the norms of peers to use what may be considered, at least by one, an unnecessary electronic device. My decision not to use the device obviously imposes certain limitations, but it also frees me from a number of encumbrances. The episode, as such, to me, addresses not only addiction, but also the value of nonconformity, the perils involved therein, and society's relationship with technology. It's quite a handful. Um, and hmm. I, uh, it, it's funny because he later in the email said, like, oh, I'm about to sound like the guy who tells the kids to get off his lawn. And I, I thought, well, that is interesting. You know, this episode is kind of a fun way to look at an age old problem. Like what is wrong with the kids these days with their electronic games and their, and their comic books and their horseless carriages. We flip it on its head. Um, they referenced Invasion of the Body Snatchers while making this episode by having the adults on board be the ones who are pushing this alien technology. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of I get where he's coming from. Now, at the same time, I part ways with it. Uh, of course, my bias is that I love my technology. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whether it's a computer or a phone or a tablet or whatever the case may be, um, But I also feel like there are certain things we have to do to stay participants in the world, even if it seems like we're not being participants by doing that. You can make the argument that walking around with a phone in your face, you may be missing out on something in the world. Well, but that same device allows me to do things like stay in touch with relatives who are thousands of miles away in a way that I was not able to do before that device existed. Yeah. You know. No, I'm with you. I mean, I I look, once Apple introduced the iPhone, I would have gotten an iPhone, but I actually had a feature phone or a smartphone. It was a feature phone actually for 2 years before that. Mm-hmm. And the reason the reason honestly was because of communication. I had a guy that I worked for who only communicated uh, via text. Mm-hmm. I mean, he talked to you face to face, but he just hated being on the phone. And so when I would call him to do something, he'd be like, "Why don't you just text me that?" And the answer was because I had the whole, you know, T9 thing. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Totally hated that. Trying to text on that was just like, you know, which is the worst thing ever. So I ended up with a smartphone. Uh, Andrea, I I respect your decision. And I and I certainly respect where you're coming from. I don't think I could do it. Uh, But I, I hope that by not doing that, I'm somehow giving into peer pressure. I feel like I want to embrace a technology that has promise. I would actually be curious to know how it is that relationships ended over that because yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty hardcore. But you don't have to write in and tell us that's your thing, man. No. And, <laughs> right. uh, thank you very much for writing in. I will say I don't understand how he wrote in if he doesn't have a smartphone. Oh right. Well, is it there <laughs> other? Not, yeah. See, you can. no, I don't think there are. I don't think there are. No, well, you, no. you think he has a tablet? Sorry, I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm joking. Yeah. So I'm going to take this yeah. discussion in a totally different direction. Do it. I do not think that this is a chastity episode, nor do I think it is a sex is bad episode, but I did find it interesting that all of the problems came as a result of Riker giving and receiving uh, what we call the full Riker. Um, Mm. Troy gives a borderline pornographic set of instructions for eating a chocolate sundae. Oh, yeah. Um, Talking this episode over with a friend of mine, she referred to all of the O faces made by all of the players. And yep. if you don't know what Norf- O face is, O stands for, I can say this right, orgasm? 
Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I mean, there's there's like a, there's like an orgasmic rush of something that's happening when these people play this game. There's sex all throughout this, right? And it is the mm-hmm. virginal teens who are able to keep clear heads for the most part and save the day. Now, Data's yeah. fully functional, but he doesn't have the same sex drive that a lot of people have. So really, it is the virginal, it is the chaste, it is the pure among us that are able to save the day and not fall into, you know, whatever was going on. Now, do I think that that is what this episode about is about? No, I don't think so. Um, I found myself also, though, wondering about the after effects of the game. Everyone on the Enterprise, with the exception of Data, Wesley, and Robin, were on a protracted high that was, you know, constantly tickling their pleasure center. When we talked in This Side of Paradise, uh, which was the one, of course, with the spore-spitting plants, um, that was the bane of my existence for a while, uh, we talked about what a debilitating thing, you know, like the cold turkey kick would have been, right? They were constantly happy, and then they're, like, taken off the drug that made them constantly happy. But even then, it's okay, because they just, okay, so just take them away from the plants, just take the plants away from them. I still think they're going to have a whole lot of problems going forward, but they, you know, at, at the very least, the source of their whatever you want to call it, is removed. Um, In the game, the devices are like everywhere and they can be replicated and they can be hidden and they can be used over and over again and everybody on board the ship is going to have to remember how good they felt just like five minutes ago, right? I actually found myself wondering, you know, whether Wes could re-engineer one that doesn't make you turn over the ship but does leave you in a prolonged orgasmic rush that would, you know, just be debilitating. And then the other thing I was wondering about is, okay... So we were all just going through space, minding our own. We started playing the game. And then after that, we were still going through space. We thought minding our own, but we were actually doing what this alien overlord wanted us to do. How do you know after this that your thoughts are your own, that your actions are your own in the aftermath of the game? So there's yeah. like, there's like four things there. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah. To, to go back to your first point about the the sexual undercurrent of the episode, um, could not agree with you more. A- absolutely. Undercurrent, you say. Undercurrent, you well, say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So well, the sexual undercurrent. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I I don't think that it was uh, like you. I don't think it was the intention of the episode to have a message like that. But like most horror movies, it's not the intention necessarily that you always save the virginal one and you kill the ones who are having sex. They just kind of play that way because those are the tropes that writers fall back on. And I feel like this episode sort of plays out, out like that as well. You know, we, we yeah. want to keep Wesley and Robin a little chaste and uh, to see all these adults around them uh, really, I, you know, man, Dr. Crusher having this response while playing the game. It's embarrassing oh, to us when Wesley walks in on her playing the game. Yes. You know, <laughs> and then to your other point. Yeah, I, I definitely said that in a note that the game plays like a drug. So I, yeah. I think there is an argument to make here about this episode being about technology, uh, maybe about peer pressure, maybe about other things. But it is also about the drug idea here. Um, but at the same time, these people seem happy. They seem very happy when they're playing the game, kind of like they're on spores. Mm-hmm. But then can you really get it away from the thousand people that are on the ship who have already programmed replicators to make them and right. you know that it feels good? This um, is what I'm saying. I mean, and, yeah. and don't misunderstand. While my argument in the episode for this side of paradise was Kirk should have just left them alone. They need to round all these things up and destroy them. OK, yeah. I mean, because yeah. they are debilitating people, unlike unlike the spore planet. The spore planet was also healing them and taking care of them in a number mm-hmm. of ways. They weren't they weren't wasting away. And I have no right. doubt that these people left with just these games would have eventually stopped eating and died. I mean, just because yeah. I mean, just because all it's doing is tickling their pleasure center. Unless the signal that was being sent by Atana was also telling them, oh, by the way, and be sure to eat and brush your teeth and do all the stuff you're supposed to do, you know, so you can keep you know spreading this around to other people. <laughs> um, I have I mean, th- this this is not I'm not making there's no correlation here. I, I think I still believe what I believed forever ago about this side of paradise. This is a very different thing. I think this is a more insidious thing, though, because how do you know that they haven't you know, like stashed a box of them someplace? Or how do you know that they're not just reprogramming them and redoing them or something like that? And right. how, do, how do you not have like you've got a thousand people basically kicking at this point? Right. 
walking around, yeah. maybe, maybe hating themselves, maybe hating the fact that they can't get that high again. I mean, who knows? But it feels like um, it feels like there are just a tremendous can of worms here. Now, going back really quickly. Yeah, you're right. I don't think that that was the intended message. It's just interesting to me. There's um, I watch a lot of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, sure. Um, one of them is uh, a horrible movie, The Giant Gila Monster. <laughs> but it starts with the two kids who are obviously having sex getting killed right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is interesting. You say it's a trope. You would think, though, that at some point a writer would say, well, maybe I won't do that this time. Well, come to think yeah, of it, actually, right. Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nancy and Johnny Depp. You know, mm-hmm. he, he actually wants to fool around with her. And she says, you know, no. And he uh, is sleeping on the couch then. And he says, morality sucks. <laughs> and then he ends up being killed by Freddy Krueger. So, I mean, it's not yeah. always the virginal who, who, who make it. I just thought it was really interesting that, uh, I thought it was really interesting that, that the most chaste among us were, were the ones who were able to see us through and everybody else who had, you know, done the deed. Right. Um, we're, we're really, we're really leading us down the, uh, down the path to hell. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I want to wrap it up with one idea about that because it also comes back to kind of the sexual nature of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. It's an intriguing ending to have Wesley and Robin share this intimate kiss. It, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, these are a couple of kids on TV and it's not just like a peck on the cheek and wow, you're great. No, it, it's this intimate moment. And then end it with the new rule that Wesley proposes. A couple of light years. Rule 103. Right? A couple of light years can't keep good friends apart. They said friends, but they're the Mm -hmm. kind of friends who kiss (laughs) and and do it well. And I thought, you know what? This comes back to a thing about the 24th century. Maybe this is how Riker made a lot of friends. Like, say, Carmen, before the crystalline entity ate her. You know? Yes. Um there there's something again that's sort of okay about this and i understand the reality of production we have a guest star we probably won't see this guest star all the time uh will has got to go back to his life which is not being on star trek every week so we're going to break this thing up right but we're going to leave it on this good note it's not like a tearful goodbye it's like this is a thing that happens and we will see Mm. each other again and probably pick right back up where we left off. Hey, kids of the 24th century, it's disc in a tube. Toss the disc, catch it, dump it out of the tube, toss it, and catch it in the tube again. And clean up is as easy as catching a disc in a tube. Why spend another day not catching a disc in a tube, when you could be catching a disc in a tube? So, Ken, we've played the game, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know if it's affected my pleasure centers or yours, uh, but we're about to find out. <laughs> I guess so. First question being, before we get into morals, meanings, messages, does the episode hold up? So, what do you think? This episode is a lot better than I remembered, honestly. I, I went into it with a bit of trepidation, because for some reason I had it in my head that it was bad. And I really don't think it is bad. Um, especially where we're going to, as we've talked about in the past few episodes, where we're going to get more now into character development. We're going to get more now into caring about these people as opposed to just the thing that happened that week. I love the scene with uh, Patrick Stewart. I loved him talking over his days at the Academy. There's a there's a level of, of something in this episode. I know you said everybody just acted normal, but I felt there was like an underlying uh, creep factor to the whole thing. It reminded me... I think you said that they referred to Invasion of the Body Snatchers in production. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. In, in, a, in a way that was almost maybe more than conspiracy, kind of. I mean, because conspiracy, it was so obvious. I don't know. I think the episode holds up. I do. You could say that the game is kind of goofy, but again, like we talked about, I think you, d- you described that away just with the whole Pleasure Center part. Wonderful to see Ashley Judd. It's just, I mean, it's, yeah, I think it works. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, um, I, I had the same reaction that you did. I, I kind of was not looking forward to this because all I could remember was what the game looked like and that it was a little dorky and a little dated looking. 
But then I watched it, and then I watched it again, and I watched it again, and I thought, you know, this is just a really cool idea for an episode. And the creepy mm-hmm. level is there. Um, but what I was trying to make a point of was to say that in, you know, the 1956 invasion of the Body Snatchers, the people who've been taken over by the pods are normal to a point. But then you can tell right away because they kind of get mm-hmm. that far off look in their eyes and they move a little differently and the words coming out of their mouths are different. But what's interesting in this is that the way the characters interact really doesn't change. It's just what they're doing that changes. So you've got, you know, uh, Jordy has a certain cadence. He's got a certain rhythm to the way that he talks and the way that he says maybe a technical line compared to the way that Gates McFadden does as Dr. Crusher. And mm-hmm. none of that changes. They don't just like slip into this. Well, I've played the game, so now I'm a robotic zombie character who's just sort of regurgitating lines none of that happens so they can sort of pass with everybody else now that comes in a little bit later uh, i said that robin was really the first one who really you see a marked change in her you see a little bit of it in o'brien mm-hmm. and then you see other characters that you don't know like the one just sitting there in 10 forward just completely not moving other than staring off into space playing the game. So there are yeah. little bits of that when people have played more and more. I, I, I would argue that Picard did change as well. I mean, it's mm-hmm. subtle, mm-hmm. but he, did, he, wasn't, he wasn't barking orders. He was very pleasant. Again, this is a happy man right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. while he's ruining everybody's lives and turning the Enterprise over to somebody else. You know? yeah, like, yeah. Oh, and don't forget the one for Mr. Crusher. It's all very sweet. It's very understated. It is, it is Picard at his most genial, mm-hmm. I would say, mm-hmm. um, while he's wrecking everything for everyone. Yeah. Now, I think yeah. that there is maybe a reason that uh, people would have to resent the idea of Wesley coming back just to save the day again, because this was sort of the (laughs) argument about Wesley before. And I get that, but I think they brought him back in a way that is of value to the character. We gave it a little Mm -hmm. bit of time. He's a little bit older. He's a little cooler. There's more to him. So I'm okay with revisiting that character because we at least got to get more out of him. Um, yeah. And, you know, so if you don't have this feeling that Wesley is a character that you like anyway, you probably won't like this episode. But I appreciate the fact that they did something different. The other things that may not hold up, of course, you can say that the, the production value or the style of the game itself doesn't hold up. But again, I think that's irrelevant. Because all we have to care about is that these people are being affected, and they sell yeah. that. They definitely sell that. So, what about uh, what about messages, sir? Yeah, I mean, I think that you could say that this is a story about addiction, but really, what good is that here? You know, none of the people in this are willing participants in in an alien plot. They, they sort of got snared in this trap. So maybe the you see Timmy moment here is don't do drugs, which is a message that we've had in other and probably better ways before. But I I think what's more interesting here is just this rumination on the idea of pressure, that, that people are pressured to do things that they don't want to do. And then, like I said, you got the nerdy kids. Uh, Wesley, the one who says, I'd like to know a little more about it before I try it out. Wise words for Wesley about the game <laughs> and probably anything else in life that you're unsure of. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's an alien plot. And the goal of the episode is to resolve and solve the alien plot so our characters can go on and do something else next week. So I don't think it's a really deep rumination over addiction. It's Mm -hmm. just sort of interesting to see the characters come apart because of it. Um, I'm, I'm actually much more interested in some of the discussion that we had in our last segment about that undercurrent of sexuality and mm-hmm. just sort of about the the creepiness of what's going on here. So 
So yeah. what, what do you have in the summary there? Well, I mean, I, basically the same thing. I mean, I still wonder if it's not some throwback sexual morality tale. Um, <laughs> it's got a bit of invasion of the body snatchers combined with not necessarily a message about the evils of sexuality, more the virtues of virtuousness, maybe. Like, like yeah. uh, in Disaster... Disaster! In Disaster, <laughs> we said um, that Ronald D. Moore wanted to make a disaster movie, right? Yeah. This yeah. feels like somebody wanting to make a 1950s horror movie. Yeah. But, you know, but not quite as heavy-handedly. And so for that, I kind of respect it. Um, if you can ask me if that message holds up, I'm going to say a thousand times no. It always bothers me when the kids who have sex are the ones who die. I mean, mm -hmm. it really, it, yeah. that really feels like, you know, somebody who's like charging me 10 bucks to see an R-rated movie getting preachy, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, right. which I don't quite understand right. that, but it's something that happens over and over and over again. And it happens in this episode of Star Trek as well. But if I look at it as a bit of kitsch, if I look at it as a bit of fun, I mean, because look, Ashley Judd's a good actress and she actually pulls off a couple of really great scenes here, including mm -hmm. th that last look that she gives Will Wheaton as he's leaving. I know you said it wasn't a tearful goodbye, but I honestly felt like she was sad to see him go. And and I felt like that was conveyed in her silence, in her acting. And it wasn't like, OK, now you're supposed to look sad. So we all know that you're sad. I actually felt like she reached something acting in that moment. That she didn't reach a lot of the other times in the show because they are the well they're not the Bobsy twins because those were twins, but they're like yeah, they're like uh, the Nancy boys and and uh, um, the Hardy boys and Nancy Drew rather excuse me the Nancy boys sorry about that the Hardy boys and Nancy Drew I mean there's like a there's like a yeah like a, uh, gosh darn it we got to do something about uh, right. about right. some of the acting so I assume it's kind of a nod to that whole thing and that makes me like it more. And and so that but that does come with the 1950s messages of, uh, you know, good people do good things and have good things happen to them. while bad people. Oh, bad people leave you, uh, you know, to horrible to horrible ends, I guess. Well, but let's put kind of a, a positive spin on that to say that you okay. know, there, there is something like you said, the the virtues of virtuousness. There, there is something good and positive in that message of saying, look, the kid who saves the day is the one who at least took a step back and said, this is something weird. This is something yeah. I don't understand. So I'm going to yeah. try to understand it. And okay. I don't need to be dragged into the cool thing. And that's with finger quotes for those of you who can't see me, um, which would be all of you. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, he doesn't need to do the cool thing just to feel like, he needs to do that to belong. He finds his own yeah. way of belonging. He finds a genuine human connection with somebody. And it's really nice to see that blossom. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, that, and that message would definitely hold up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One so, has to figure that there is a, a rule in those 102 rules about peer pressure. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. I would hope. Interesting that that didn't come up the whole time. Why don't you want to play the game? <laughs> hey, rule 17. I don't have to do what you tell me. <laughs> Right. Wouldn't you right. think? Like that quite a lot. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment Executive Producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com, including information about the Roddenberry Foundation, Roddenberry Adventures, upcoming convention appearances, and new and exciting products. That's at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week... Unification. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Mission log. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you, you would think that after, you know, 200 episodes, it'd be okay doing that. And transmission.